All right, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark, we're going to be in in chapter 4 this week. If you don't have a Bible, you can find this passage printed in the bulletin. Uh, We've been working through this series since the beginning of the school year. And uh, so far we've seen Jesus loves to teach. He's very uh, committed to teaching. Uh, But not everybody is ready to hear his teaching. Uh, Last week we saw in chapter 3, in fact, some people receive it with joy and bear fruit. Other people actually hated it and hated Jesus for it and even started to plot his murder. And that raises the question, why? Why do some people love the word of God? Why do some people hate the word of God? Jesus tells two stories about that today. The parable of the sower and the parable of the lamp under a basket. And we're going to consider both of them together. Let me read to you starting in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower goes out to sow. And as he sowed, seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, quote, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away, and others are... The ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. 
And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. God's word. Here's my statement this morning. This this is the main thing I want to get across to you that I think Jesus is trying to get across. Everything in your life depends on how you hear God's word. That's my statement. Everything in your life depends, hangs on how you hear the word of God when it comes to you. We can do many different things when we hear someone speak. Same with God. We can do many things with that message. If we don't handle the message in the way God's called us to handle it, it will change the very trajectory of our whole lives. Jesus teaches this because he believes that the word of God is the single most powerful force on the earth. Do you believe that this morning? Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to believe that sometimes because we see so many other very powerful things, things that are manifestly powerful like, for example, hurricanes or earthquakes or atomic bombs or bulldozers or we think of big, very obviously powerful things when we think of power. We don't think of words. And yet Jesus said when God, because he's the creator of all and the, and the one who made the, wor- the world by the word, when God speaks a word, it has got power packed into it. And so it cannot leave you unchanged. Either it will change you for the better or your response to it will mean it will change you for the worse. Let's look at Jesus' story this morning, okay? We're going to look at it in three ways. If you look at your bulletin, first of all, Jesus tells us about the word itself, the seed Then he tells us about the resistance in our hearts. And then lastly, he gives us hope that there can be an increase. There can be a harvest, even for hard-hearted people. Let's listen. First of all, the word of God, the seed that Jesus talks about in the story. Just notice, first of all, the context again, verse 1. Jesus is doing, in chapter 4, verse 1, the thing he's been doing everywhere he goes. He began to teach. Once again, Jesus is choosing to use the method of teaching and preaching. He's standing beside a sea. The crowd is so large gathering to hear him this time that he can't even stand on the seashore because they're about to push him into the water. And so he gets onto a boat and they put out kind of past touching, you know, past where people can swim to him. And he stands out there on the boat like a pulpit preaching to the people on the shore. Just get that image in your head. Jesus is so committed to teaching that he's willing to do anything to keep doing it. And when he opens his mouth here and tells a story, he shows us why. Did you notice the first word, verse 3, of his story? I tried to emphasize it in the reading. Listen! Has anybody ever done that to you? Jesus is doing that to this crowd. Now, clearly, they were here to hear him. So why does he have to be so, why does he have to yell? Why? Because, look at what he says. A sower went out to sow. And then if you look at, at uh, Jesus' little key to understanding the parable there in verse 14, the sower sows the word. 
Jesus is so intent on having people listen. He's, he's yelling at us to listen to the word of God because Jesus has this conviction that God has chosen, for whatever reason, these reasons are God's reasons, but for whatever reason, he has chosen the word to be the medium through which he gets his work done in our lives. No word, no work. And Jesus compares it to a seed, probably because the seed is a beautiful picture of something small and seemingly inconsequential that has potentially large effects. Uh, if you looked at a piece of land and said, I want to change the landscape here, you can do it in two ways. You can hire some bulldozers and go out there and bulldoze it all and reshape it, make hill here and a valley there and a lake and pond there. You can really reshape it. That kind of reshaping is fast, relatively. Uh, it makes a very quick, visible difference. But how long does that kind of shaping last? When you move dirt, even if in your own yard, have you ever tried to move dirt? And you didn't keep up what you moved? What happens over time? Erosion. It just goes right back. You know, every, everything kind of just tends to fall down. Everything falls apart, right, in this world. But another way that you could change that piece of land is you can go get a bunch of seed, trees, and various bushes and plants, and, and you can plant them. And that's not going to seem that effective at first. It's going to take a while, a long time. But once it has its effect, you have changed that piece of land, not just for a generation, but for generations. You have changed that land for possibly centuries. That's how long forests and groves can last and so Jesus chooses the seed because sometimes when we look at God's word, we think, eh, how is that going to do anything? What, what good is that? To listen to someone read, to listen to someone preach, to read myself a book? What? It seems so inconsequential. And yet in the hands of the Holy Spirit, there is power packed into that word which can bust through concrete. Did you know a seed can bust through concrete sometimes? I mean, have you ever seen that in your driveway? You know, the grass tends to find its way even through. It can crack the sidewalk with its power as it grows up, even though it's the tiniest little thing. And so the word of God, according to Jesus, is this small thing that comes from outside of us that when placed within us can radically transform generationally, eternally, like nothing else can. It's the same thing really with that picture there in verse 21 when he talks about the lamp being brought into the house. A lamp is the same way. It's a small thing. Today, these lamps are very bright. I can attest to that. Uh, all the lights are bright in here. Back then, the only light they had was just little lamps like wicks, oil lamps. That seems weak. doesn't seem very effective and yet in a dark room when you bring that lamp in and you put it on a stand instead of under a basket wow you can light the whole room up for hours and hours at a time if you have enough oil you can keep that lamp going all the time Jesus is showing us just how we ought to think about the Bible how we ought to consider the words that come from God's mouth he sent them to do his great work what is his great work to bring you to salvation and to change you from the inside out. He wants to change your life in his own image. And the way that he does it is by speaking. 
if you have your Bible, keep your finger in Mark 4 and look back at Isaiah 55. If you don't have a Bible, you can find it because we read it for our call to worship. So you can look back at the call to worship in the bulletin. Notice what God says. This is powerful. God says in Isaiah 55, starting in verse 10, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there. The the rain doesn't come down and shoot right back up. It comes to stay. It settles into the ground and brings forth in the land so that it sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God, what do you purpose? Verse 12, you shall go forth in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break into singing. The trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of a thorn, there will come a cypress. Instead of a briar, will come a myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. That's the word of God. That's what God sends his word to do. Do you see that? Does anybody in here feel like they have thorns in their heart ever? Or am I the only one? Do you feel like your heart's a briar patch sometimes? A dry desert? All the wrong things, none of the right things? God says, my word is sent like rain. But a special kind of rain, a transforming rain. The rain falls on the weeds and it becomes a grove. The rain falls on a thorn and it becomes a cypress tree. Wow. Isn't that miraculous? And I want to tell you, we've got to get back to confidence in the Bible and its power to work. We've got to get back to confidence in that. I think we've lost a great deal of our confidence. This shows up in a number of ways. Here's one way it shows up. Folks think they can know God without the Bible. Folks think they can know God without seriously engaging the Bible and listening to it and learning from it. And, and y'all, you just can't. You can't know a person unless that person tells you what they're thinking. And the Bible claims to be and shows itself to be the very expression of the thoughts of God's heart. You cannot know him. You can't live for him. You can't follow him without the scripture in your life. We've got to have confidence in that. It shows up in another way, though. We think that we're going to be better off the less we are in the Bible. We're going to be more free. Uh, in fact, this, this has been a big cultural thing, like all the way back. I don't, I don't want to get too much into history lesson here, but in the 1700s, there was this movement called the Enlightenment that swept across the Western world, Europe and America, that was beginning to form as a nation. And it basically said this, the Bible was for our dad and mom and granddad. That's an old thing. That's just an ancient, old religious book. Here's what we need. We need reason. We can figure the whole world out if we just think hard enough about it and try to figure it out. And we're not going to fight with each other anymore because when you read the Bible, everybody has different interpretations. Everybody ends up fighting. But surely if we all reason, we're going to all come up with the same answer and we're going to get along because reason is just true. Y'all, it has been 300 years since we've been playing that experiment out. 
which is a pretty long experiment if you think about it. What has come of it to Western culture, to Europe, to America, to those lands that once had confidence in the Bible? Do we get along better? Are we happier? Are we more clear about what life is about or less clear? Can we even tell the difference between a man and a woman? Frankly, where has human reason gotten us? Confusion. Confusion. The same thing that happens in our culture can happen in your life. You may think, oh, if I don't listen to the Bible and get all religious, I'll just be able to do whatever I want to do. My life will be great. My life will be great. I'll be free. I won't be like those fuddy-duddies. The same thing is going to happen to you that has happened to our whole society. You're going to end up despairing, lonely, without any answer to the greatest problems in your life. And you're going to die in that despair. That's a sad thing. We have to have confidence in the word. As Jesus says, listen, God speaks. Praise God that he speaks. Because if God did not speak, we would not be able to know him. But God speaks. And so the confidence to be able to listen is so key to our Christian life. We know the world doesn't trust this book right here. We know that. But we have the Holy Spirit. We ought to trust it. We ought to show the world what it's like to trust it. I'll give you a personal testimony, okay? Y'all know I'm a nerd, right? That, one of the things that means is I like to read, and I've liked to read my whole life. I've read a lot of books in my life. And uh, in my undergraduate at Florida State, I was an English literature major so that I could read more. And I read a lot of books. But let me tell you, I never read a book that also read me back until I read the Bible. Now, I know that's just a personal testimony, and you may dismiss it and may say, well, that's great for you, but I didn't have that experience. Hear me out. When you engage in Scripture, you will find not only a book that you can analyze, you'll find a book that analyzes you. You'll find a book that talks back. You'll find a book not only that you make demands of, but that makes demands of you. Why do you find that? Why have people throughout the ages found that in the Bible? Because God speaks there. Jesus believed it. A sower went out to sow, and the seed that he sowed was the word, and that seed ended up bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's how powerful it is. Wow. That's the first thing, the word, the seed. But the second thing is the resistance that it meets. Somebody may say, okay, you're saying the word's powerful, but then why doesn't it transform people? Why did the entire Western culture, after all those years of listening to the Bible, why did they turn their back on it in the 1700s? There must have been something wrong with it. You've put yourself in the disciples' shoes you know, as they're sitting there listening. They must have thought, wow, I don't know. Jesus is saying that teaching is the way, but man, people are not really responding that well. Lots of people are hating it. They're trying to kill our master. And Jesus, maybe you should find another strategy. 
And Jesus tells a story to show that the problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil on which the seed falls. Did you notice the three types of soil? There are actually four, but three bad types. First of all, verse 3, the path. This is the area around the field that everybody walked on, so it got trodden underfoot and, and hardened into almost like concrete. And so when the seed fell on it, it just clanked, and the birds immediately found their food. Jesus later says, there in verse 14, that stands for Satan, who when he sees a hard heart, pounces. And as soon as he sees a hard-hearted person hearing the Bible, he's got them, and he just takes it away, and they never even, it's not as if they never even heard it. That's one way that people resist God's word. The second soil, uh, verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground. Uh, this is um, parts of the field that didn't get plowed good enough or didn't get tended good enough, and so there's lots of rocks in them. If you've ever been to the Middle East, lots of the ground has lots of rocks in it, so this is very common. Uh, in this ground, the seed goes in, and it begins to shoot up, it says, quickly. It sprang up immediately, but it had no depth because there was rocks, and so it did not have a root, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered away. Jesus explains, verse 16, look at 16. Those who hear this way are like those who immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves and endure for a while, but when persecution or difficulty arises on account of the word, they fall away. The shallow person, the person who has shallow faith. And then finally, look at, look at uh, verse 7. There was other seed that fell on the thorns. And when it fell on the thorns, uh, it grew up just fine, but eventually it was choked out by the thorns, and it yielded no grain. Jesus explains, and let me caution you, this one stings. Uh, look at verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Brace for it. Okay, brace yourself. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things choke the word. So that it is unfruitful. It proves unfruitful in their lives. All three of these are forms of resistance. Here's the thing the Bible says about you and me. It says our hearts are bent against God. Bent against God. We are against him by nature. Everybody. And these are three ways that bentness gets manifested. It either hardens itself. I don't want to hear from God at all. I don't really care. I don't want to be religious. That's for you. Or it comes to God for selfish reasons. God, give me what I want, and I'll listen to you. And we, we come and we try to get what we want, but it's very shallow. And so when difficulty arises, psh, we're out. Or it comes and it settles in and begins to grow. But before long, all the other things of life crowded out. And we just aren't listening anymore because we're too worried about the, the house and the career and the family and the pleasure and the, all that. Takes over. Now think about this. God takes this personally. Just like you would. If you're married, think about this. Which one of these would you rather hear from your spouse? Three statements. Number one, I hate you. Number two, I'm just using you. 
Or number three, you don't matter as much to me as my hobbies and my career. Which one of those do you want to hear? Somebody says, how about D? Yeah, none of the above, yeah. Because while, while a few of them sound less harsh than I hate you, I think we would all agree all of them mean the same thing. They're actually all synonyms, aren't they? And so for God, the person that we all can recognize, the person that says, I hate God, I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist. We all recognize that person obviously is not hearing from God and is not going to benefit. And we're like, yeah, of course. But we're not as quick to recognize that the person who is selfish in their faith or the person who is a Christian some of the time, but most of the time they're just obsessed with life, is saying essentially the same thing as the person that says, I hate you, and I don't even believe you're there. That's why I say we're bent against God. That's why I say we're prejudiced against God. That's why I say God takes it personally when people hear his word and they do not respond in faith, love, joy, obedience. It shows something deeply wrong with the heart. This morning, it's very important for us all to examine ourselves. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or whether you don't think you're a Christian yet or aren't sure if you are, it's great questions to ask. Where do you see these kinds of resistance in your life? I think we all, if we're honest, see them. I mean, all all of us see them. I don't think we should take this story as everybody is one or the other and only one or the other all the time. I think the soils really are just a way of saying our hearts can be any number of these conditions at any different times when we come to hear the Bible. And we have to always be aware of it so that We ask God to prepare the soil. Any given time, I may come to the Bible as a thorny person, as a rocky, hard heart, or I may come ready and willing to listen. I've got to always be thinking. I've got to always be examining myself. As Hebrews 3 says, Be careful lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart to lead you to fall away from the living God. Be careful, lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart in you to lead you to fall away from the living God. How do you be careful? Exhort one another daily and listen to the word because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what it says in Hebrews. And that's what Jesus is encouraging all these people, this whole crowd of people and his disciples to do. Now lastly, Jesus tells us not just about the word and the resistance, but he tells us about the increase. There is hope that all kinds of people can actually receive the word, accept it, and bear the fruit of it in their lives. How does that happen? Well, Jesus tells us a couple of different answers here. A couple of different answers. If you'll look there at verse um, 10 through 12 of chapter 4, you get his first answer. Jesus' first answer, which he delivers to the disciples... When they ask, what does this mean, Jesus, tell us about the parable. Jesus says, basically, you have to be given the secret by God to receive it. Look at verse 10. To you, or verse 11, rather. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. 
But for those outside, those to whom the secret has not yet been given, everything is in parables to them. They don't understand a bit of it. So that, and then he quotes Isaiah, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What's going on here? This sounds very harsh. What's going on here is God's exercise of mercy and judgment. God exercises mercy, which he's free to do, when he gives us the gift of receiving the secrets of his kingdom and of his heart. God exercises his judgment when he leaves a person in their confusion. And Jesus is saying he tells parables in part to illustrate this fact so that everybody will know it. So that everybody will realize if they want to hear the word of God right, they are utterly dependent on God's work to do it. They're utterly dependent on God showing mercy rather than judgment to them. It's supposed to humble you that Jesus says this. It was supposed to humble the disciples. Think about the soil, for example. If we're talking here, which is what we're talking about, if we're talking about how do you make good soil in your heart, think about how good soil is made in a field. How do you make good soil in a field? Does the soil make itself good? Do the animals make it good? Partly, but not really, not consciously. Do last year's crops, does it just happen by accident? No. Soil becomes plantable because the farmer works it, prepares it. A person hears and receives and bears the fruit of the word of God because God has prepared their heart to listen. That's Jesus' first answer. In other words, how do we get a good heart? You ask for it. You receive it. Only God can give it to you. You can't do it. That's the first answer. Very important to know. Very important to know. The second answer puts the ball more on our court. Uh, Look there at uh, verse 21. This is where he talks about the lamp. Who brings a lamp to put it under a bed or under a basket? Don't you put it, bring a lamp into a room to put it on a stand? Jesus is saying, do you think God sent me into the world and sent his word so that it might be covered up and not believed? He sent it so that the world would believe in it. And so here's what you're supposed to do. Be careful how you hear. Verse 24, pay attention to how you hear. Listen. Because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, he will be given more. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Do you see the two sides here? On the one hand, God says, you can't prepare your own heart. On the other hand, he says, once God has given you the gift of a new heart, you need to put it to work. You've got to actually... Take advantage of what God has worked into you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back. The effort that you and I as Christian believers put into our spiritual growth by listening to the Bible and reading it and studying it, the degree to which we put the effort is the degree to which we will experience the blessings of God. And the degree to which we don't is the degree to which we will be impoverished in the blessings of God. Only God can change the heart. 
And yet once God changes the heart, there is a beautiful work that he calls us to do. Paying attention, putting our whole lives invested into this task of hearing God's voice and obeying it. Think about it. One, uh, one Bible scholar said this, and I think it's a really good picture, about the parables of Jesus. He said the parables of Jesus are kind of like political cartoons. In, in this one way, okay, in this one way. You know what a political tar- cartoon is, by the way? I can't assume the kids know. Kids, there used to be a thing called a newspaper, and you would actually get it yeah, and, and open it. It was black and white, red all over. And, uh, yeah, you know what a newspaper is? Good. In the back of the newspaper, there were these cartoons for adults. And they were about politics, the things happening in politics. Well, everybody who's ever seen one knows this. If you don't know what's going on in politics, do the cartoons make any sense to you? Like zero. I mean, you look at it and think, what? Who, who even are these people? In the same way, Jesus told parables because if you didn't already come with some understanding of who Jesus was, you weren't going to get it. You had to know at least a few basic things about Jesus to even get it, right? But here's the other thing about a political cartoon, which is like a parable. Even if you know the politics and understand the cartoon, if you don't agree with the political perspective in it, are you going to laugh at it? Probably not. In fact, we've all probably seen a political cartoon that we thought, hmm, no, not funny. You may have even been offended by one because it was ripping on your side. Well, what this is saying is that God, by preparing the soul of the heart and us, by taking what God works in and working it out, we're working on those two problems at the same time. When we hear the word of God, we have both problems. We don't understand because we don't know the first thing right about God. He solves that by giving us knowledge, by opening our eyes. We also don't hear it because we don't like it. It's against our political persuasion. Because God's always telling us to stop doing things and to start doing things. and to, ooh, He's always talking about sin and ugh, judgment. We don't naturally like that. What the Spirit does is he comes and he gives us a whole new perspective. He changes your heart so that you not only can see it clearly, but you want it. A Christian has a new appetite for the Word of God put into their hearts. A hunger, a thirst after righteousness. A gift, but a gift you must put to use. Think about it. How often do you have the opportunity to hear God's word? We got so many opportunities, don't we? More than any other generation of Christians on the planet. You literally can carry 30 versions of the Bible in your pocket, in your phone. I mean, that's unheard of. You can even, somebody will read it to you in a British accent. Just by push and play. I mean, it's being served up to us on a silver platter. What are we doing with it? I think our forefathers and foremothers were right to observe that there are three ways everybody can hear from God regularly. Publicly, on Sundays at church. 
privately with your families every day and with your friends and community groups and secretly when you're just alone with God. Our forefathers were right. Those are the three areas you ought to always be hearing from God. You cannot take any of those away. Those are the three legs of a stool of your faith. If you cut the public out, it's going to collapse. If you cut the secret out, you're going to be a hypocrite. If you cut the family out, well, you're, you're going to be having faith yourself, but not passing it on to your kids adequately. You've got to have all three of them. You've got to listen publicly, privately, secretly, preparing your heart to hear. Think what word we are listening to when we hear the Bible. Think whose word it is. Think what he's trying to do. He's not trying to bulldoze, but he's trying to turn a thorny patch into a myrtle bush, into a myrtle grove or forest or whatever you call it with myrtles. He's trying to do a miracle for your good. Amen. Be careful how you hear. Or as Jesus says in verse 3 simply, listen. Amen. Amen.